I got to be careful how I read it because there would be certain things that could be said about it. So I want to be careful, but the verse says, If there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come also a poor man in his vile raiment. Now, I don't want to call what I'm wearing vile raiment. That's why I want to be very careful, you see. Uh, but uh, it is interesting, isn't it, that he's going to talk about appearances and judging by Appearances, But anyway, um, I did think it was Friday night. It is Friday night, but it's not Friday night. And uh, so it's not young people Friday night, but it is Friday night. So, um, we're <laughs> so I had a Friday night message, which the rest of you will just have to endure. But it's the word of God, so it suits everyone, right? But it'll be James Saturation uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, which will give us a good introduction to the book of James, which I was asked to do, which um, I'm not sure exactly who I have to, to fault for that. Maybe Dave? Dave, okay. So he'll be the one who has to pay the toll. And I only say that because I confess to you openly and honestly I, I went back into the archives. Now, for me to go back into the archives is really, it's going back. Back to when I used to, probably maybe two years after I was saved, that's been, I was saved uh, 36 plus years ago, imagine that. So we're talking like 34, 33, 34 years ago when I started teaching the Bible the only way I knew how to do it was to take a book and go verse by verse, and I would actually write out longhand, uh, you know, each ver verse one or a word in verse one or three words or whatever it was I broke it down, keep it in notebooks, and as I worked through it, that notebook was usually the product of maybe two other notebooks where I had kind of rough gone through stuff, you know. But anyway, I still have most of those notebooks. Some of them are you know, pretty bad, worn shape. I'm saying that to say that I have one in the archives on the book of James like that, big yellow legal pad kind of a deal. So I've done the book of James, I don't know how many times, but no matter how many times I do the book of James, I confess to you, it is one of the books I struggle with more than any other book in the Bible. I really do. Now maybe that doesn't exude confidence uh, in the beginning of a message to you, and maybe it'll be quite apparent to you that I struggle with it when I get into the message, but um, he just, um, you know, James, uh, I don't know if you have that struggle in the Scripture sometimes. Sometimes there's things that are they're right there on the surface. It's not that you can't get in and, and get something and understand, but it's kind of trying to put the whole thing together, you know, within the framework of what you know from the rest of Scripture. And then James seems to throw, I'm just saying seems, it's the Word of God, he seems to throw these kind of curveballs in there that make you kind of go, what? You know, how does that... You know what I mean? Yeah. So, anyway, um, 
I want you to think about this, though, because we're not going to take this up tonight, but I just want to put it into your thinking because it is very interesting. A couple of little things about the book. Now, just to let you know, in the morning we're going to do some uh, preliminary things in the book of James and go over some of the basic uh, things in the first chapter or so and show how the book of James is very helpful in correcting certain things doctrinally particularly and then I'm going to kind of do a little bit of a switcheroo in the sense that Sunday morning Lord willing uh, and I almost called you Michael because I had dental work this week but uh, so I say Lord willing um, Sunday morning we're going to do James chapter 1 verses 1 through 12 which is what I was asked to do Sunday night we're going to do the overview of the book of James and introduction so that's a little bit of a switcheroo usually you do the introduction first but there's a reason why I want to do that so that'll be sort of the approach and most likely Sunday night I'll touch on this but I just want to throw it into the pool of your thinking two things one the name James Probably, as we will discuss in our overview, probably the earliest book, epistle of the New Testament that was written. Probably the first of the New Testament letters that we have. So it's very early. Being very early, it's very Jewish in many ways. We'll see that too in the introduction. As a matter of fact, the name, the English name James which I think the French name would be Jacques, and the Hebrew name would be Jacob or Jacob, which is interesting, because Jacob now writes to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad, which is an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? The first book of the New Testament um, written, perhaps, first epistle that's written, is written by a man whose name is Jacob, who writes to the twelve tribes, which would have been named, of course, for the twelve sons of Jacob, which is an interesting thing. But even more than that, um, there's something that James is going to touch on throughout this book that is really unique to see, and that is this. What is one of the things, think about this, you don't have to answer out loud, but for instance, what is one of the things that separates human beings from the rest of all creatures? The ability to speak. That is a God-given trait, a God-given gift, a God-given attribute of human personality that distinguishes human beings from all the rest of creation. Now you can get certain bird species to mimic certain things, but it's not putting together a speech as we know it. What is one of the other things that differentiates human beings from what we would call the animal kingdom or created creatures. It is the ability, the God-given sense of moral judgment. 
of being able to determine what is right and what is wrong. You know, you leave a steak on your table and you have a dog in your house and the dog gets on the table and eats the steak and you beat the dog who goes skulking into the other room and looks like he's repentant. He isn't. (laughs) He knows you beat him. He doesn't like it. You maybe can train him. But that dog has no sense that he's done anything wrong, even if the steak costs you, you know, $15 a pound. And if you buy $15 a pound steak, please invite me over. (laughs) Let me appreciate it with you. So those are a couple of things. There's more. But here's the thing. The book of James will bring before us also how that those very faculties that differentiate higher creatures, if you will, God's created human beings from creation or created animal kingdom world, how those faculties can be corrupted. How those faculties, sense of right and wrong, can be tainted and can cause tremendous destruction and tremendous harm and how those faculties have to be brought under control and what is the process by where that's done. So in one sense, the book of James is a very elementary book because it deals with a lot of very straightforward stuff. But in another sense, the book of James goes deeper, doesn't it? So that's an interesting thing to think about. What I'd like to think about tonight is found in chapter 1, because if you've ever read the book of James, you know that the book seems to put forth a series of different sort of tests, if you will. Because he's going to talk about the reality of our faith. He's going to talk about what people see in us, and how we respond to one another. He's going to talk about faith as a living, vital thing that's lived out in a very practical, real manner. And so, one of the things that he gets at, he'll use these kind of terms, like in chapter 1 where he says uh, in verse 27, pure religion is this as opposed to that which is not pure. If any man among you seems to be religious, that's what the appearance seems to be, but here's the real test. And throughout the book, as you know, there are a number of, for lack of maybe a better term, or maybe that's even the best way to think of them, test evaluations, if you will, to where we ask ourselves the question, as James seems to do, is my faith genuine? Am I for real? And how do I know? That's interesting, isn't it? Particularly if this is one of the first or maybe the first letters that were written and the Spirit of God prompted James to write to those early Christians who, as we see from the context, many of them were suffering tremendous persecution And he writes to say, is your faith genuine? Do you have the real thing? And if you do, 
How will you know? And so one of the tests that he brings before us in chapter 1, and I'll begin reading here, is found in verse 18. And it has to do with the word. Verse 18, of his own will begot he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness or overflowing of wickedness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. What is it? Eight verses. Five times there's an emphasis in those eight verses on something to do with the word. Now, I'm sure I'm in somebody's passage, but I have no idea whose. And I'm sure it won't be the same anyway when whoever does it, does it. So um, it is what it is. But that's what we're going to look at tonight. The test that James brings out in regard to the word. Of his own will, begot he us by the word of truth, born by the word. Verse 19, let every man be swift to hear, learners of the word. Verse 21, laying aside these things, setting apart these things, the engrafted word which is able to save your soul, sanctified by the word. Verse 22, obedient to the word, be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. And verse 25, uh, this man shall be blessed in his deed as he looks into the perfect law of liberty. Born of the word, learners of the word, sanctified by the word, obedient to the word, and the blessing that comes from what James calls the perfect law of liberty. Born by the Word. There's a verse that's found in the book of Romans. And I'm sure we can take it at different levels of application, but it's found in chapter 10. And I have uh, used Romans chapter 10 because it was Romans chapter 10 that was a part of my own personal testimony. When thinking how a person could... Actually, I was trying to figure out how to find a verse in the Bible that could tell somebody how to get saved. And this verse that that woman wrote me all those years before, Romans 10:13, came to me, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I called on the name of the Lord, and I got saved. 
but the verse that uh, I want you to think about, and I'm sure you've heard, is chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, one application that's often uh, proposed from that verse is that if you want to increase your faith, you do that by uh, hearing the word of God, and that therefore increases your faith. So the more you hear the word, the more you build your faith. Sure, there's, there's, there's some truth to that. It's a good way to build our faith by hearing what God has to say, by learning what God's promises are, and so on and so on. But directly in this context, which is analyzing uh, the subject of salvation, initially of Israel as a nation, why they were or weren't saved, and of us, why we are or are not saved, faith comes by hearing, and by hearing God speak. That's powerful, isn't it? When you get saved, you get saved because you hear God speak. It's God who speaks to you. Now, he doesn't, I'm not saying audible voice coming out of the skies or any of that, but through the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, he speaks to you. And you respond to him in faith. Faith comes that way. You hear God speak. You hear his truth. And that's how a person is born again. And when we go back and think about that, I'm saved if I am saved because I have heard God speak through his word. I'm not saved because of what some man said. I'm not saved because of what some religion says. I'm not saved because of what some book says. I'm saved in that sense because I hear God speak through His Word to me. My confidence then rests upon the God who has spoken to me the truth in His Word. Does that make sense? It's powerful when you think of it like that, isn't it? That every one of us who gets saved, that's how faith comes. God has spoken to us. And his argument will go on in Romans chapter 10 to say, it's not because they haven't heard, is it? Yes, they heard. The very Son of God himself stood on the planet and spoke to them and they heard him. It's not because they were in some way incapacitated and couldn't hear. No, they heard the Son of God speak when He was here on the planet. And they either believed Him or they rejected Him. And so, born again by the word that James calls, of His own will begot He us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of a first fruits of his creatures. Now that's an interesting thing. I don't really want to go into it tonight, except it is interesting to think about, isn't it? What is James talking about when he says that we should be a kind of a first fruits of his creation? Born by the word. And you'll notice now the progression. There's an interesting progression, isn't there? A sort of a logical progression, if you will. And that is this. Brethren, let every man be Here's our posture. 
swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. There have been many times in my life when I physically placed this verse in strategic places around wherever I was. And there have been many more times when I have attempted to strategically place this verse in the forefront of my thinking because I so often get it reversed. My tendency is to be swift to speak and slow to listen or not want to listen at all in many cases. But the posture we are to adopt is to be swift to hear. To hear what? The Word of God, right? That should be our attitude. Swift to hear the Word of God. Slow to speak. Slow to wrath. God help us to adopt that. That's such a, you know, isn't that a great sign of birth? When you see a person who perhaps could care less before about the Word of God or anything to do with it, and all of a sudden they want to hear the Word, and they want to read the Word, and they want to learn the Word. I tell you, that's a great sign, isn't it? When, when you see that, and when you see the opposite, doesn't it begin to, to worry you a bit? person who doesn't want to hear the Word, person who's not interested in learning the Word, person who doesn't want to hear about the Word, you get a little concerned, don't you? And rightly so, James says. Because it's a test, isn't it, of the reality of our faith. Are we swift? Are we learners of the Word? And if we're learners of the Word, as that process develops, you see, then sanctification begins to take place. And how is it that sanctification takes place? Well, it's a process of a, of a positive and a negative in a sense, isn't it? Laying apart uh, this filthiness, this overflowing of wickedness, and receiving, again the posture, with meekness, teachableness, the engrafted word, which is able to save your very soul, your very life, if you will. There's a sanctifying process that takes place from the word of God. As, Father, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. That's so important today. We live in a world, and young people particularly face it, we all do, where more and more truth is seen to be subjective, if existent at all. One of the, one of the hallmarks of postmodernism in the age in which we find ourselves living is that uh, there is no absolute truth. There is no truth. It's all relative. We see it all around us, don't we? We see it more and more in our society where people are uh, abandoning or, or could care less about anything called truth or will claim that there is no truth. Truth is whatever you think it is. I, I remember years ago, many years ago, we were newly married and we were uh, in one of our favorite places. We were in St. Augustine, Wanda and I, and we walked into this shop, as they say back in the day, and 
it was when crystals were just becoming popular. I don't know if you remember, New Age was just kind of coming in, and a big part of the New Age had to do with pyramids and crystals and all this kind of stuff. And so we walked into this shop, there was a little kiosk, and, and there was all this New Age stuff, and these crystals and pyramids and books about all that kind of stuff, you know. And uh, this very earthy-looking young woman came walking up and said, Oh, uh, um, I see you're interested in what we have here. And I said, oh, I see you're a searcher for the truth. And she said, truth. It was classic. What is truth? (laughs) Truth is whatever we think it is. That's very interesting. So what if truth to me is I like to kill little babies? What if that's truth to me? What if truth to me is that I like to take you and and murder you or strangle you? And that's truth to me. She said, you're trying to get me in a religious discussion. (laughs) Interesting, though. If truth is relative or subjective, just whatever, then there's no standard. And one of the very faculties that I first mentioned that separates human beings from creation, that sense of moral right and wrong, is gone. So perverted, that attribute that was God-given to humanity to separate him from the beast and the created things of the world. And so... Sanctification, that process of being able to differentiate, you see, even between that which is. How do we know which, which is wickedness? How do we know which is what he calls here this overflowing of, of wickedness? Well, we receive with meekness and teachableness the engrafted word which is able to save your very soul. How will that come into play? Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Interesting, isn't it? That's the only one that's deceived is yourself. If you're a hearer only and not a doer of the word. Because if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his face in a natural glass. He looks in the mirror. He sees his face is dirty. He shrugs his shoulders. He goes on his way. And he just forgets all about it. No. Not the doer of the word. The doer of the word looks in the mirror of the word of God, which exposes us, shows us what we are in reality, and he does something about it. She does something about it. That's the test James puts forth. And then, you see the the, the flow, begotten by the Word, learning the Word, sanctified by the Word, obedient to the Word, and the blessing that comes when we look into the perfect law of liberty. Now think about those two words put together, which seem paradoxical, don't they? The law of liberty. (laughs) They almost seem contradictory, don't they? How can it be 
the law of liberty. Suppose I tell my child when my child is five years old, listen, I command you to go eat that ice cream cone. <laughs> I command you to eat two of those cookies. I command you to go back here and eat those Rice crispy things that I saw <laughs> spread on the table. Not now, but I mean, you know, whenever the time is, you see. Well, you're just commanding me to do something that I want to do anyway, right? And the only way that that law can be a law of liberty as I see it is because that word speaks to something that that nature in us desires to do. So it's really commanding us to do that which in our the nature that we have if we're born of God, we want to do anyway. And so if we look into that perfect law of liberty, and you know he's moving now, you see, to call what he said, um, the word here, and the mirror here, as, the, as now, same thing being, looking into that perfect law of liberty, which is the mirror, the glass, which is the word, verse 22. And continuing in it, being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, there's the way to blessing. Something to be said for that, isn't there? Something to be said for that. And so, am I genuine? Am I for real? What is my attitude? What is my posture towards the Word of God? Am I born of the Word? Am I learning from the Word? Do I want to come swiftly to hear the Word? Am I being sanctified by the Word of God? Am I doing the Word of God? Doing those things that it says? It's straightforward stuff, isn't it? But that's the way James is. And so that's the question I have to ask myself. And that's the question James asks as he puts it forward. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you you haven't left us in this world to wander around in a fog and wonder what to do. You've communicated your truth in a book, an objective book that we can pick up and read and examine and put to the test. And through that word you speak to us. And we know it's not the, just the voice of a man. It's not just the voice of a religion. It's the living God communicating truth by the Spirit of God, through the Word of God. And as we see what James says, it's pretty straightforward and just uh, kind of in-your-face kind of a thing. But really, there's a place for that, Lord. And so even in that, as it confronts us, I have to ask myself, are these the things that characterize me? And if not, why not? And if in areas where it doesn't, what are those areas? Because the Word of God does expose us in that sense. So we thank you for this. We thank you for your Word. We thank you for those who have come tonight. And we ask your blessing accordingly. Giving you thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.